Welcome to the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. I am your host, Donovan Place, and I am joined here by my co-hosts, Ben Schmidt and Collins Hansel. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the NFL Conference Championship Weekend. We're going to talk a little Baseball Hall of Fame voting and how that whole thing is bullshit. And then we're going to wrap it up with This Week in Sports. This episode is brought to you by Ament Engineering specializing in civil engineering and land surveying, serving the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. If you or your business is expanding in the Valley of the Sun, you need Ament. Check them out at amentpro.com. That's A-M-E-N-T pro.com. Check them out. If you're in the Phoenix area, they're great. All right. Uh, we're getting right in the conference championship. Let's start on the NFC side. Bucks beat the Packers. Uh, what was it like, thirty-one, twenty-six, something like that? Something, something around that area. Uh, Tom Brady is uh, just doing Tom Brady things. I'm gonna throw out a couple stats, okay? Tom Brady's played twenty years, and this is his tenth Super Bowl. He's been in the Super Bowl half of his career. Insane. Also, he's been in 18% of all Super Bowls. This is really just a run that we will never see again. I feel like that's a – I think that's a fair statement to say. Obviously, I could be wrong because I have no idea what the future holds. But the amount of – if just looking at the numbers, like you said, Donovan, and seeing the fact this dude has been into almost a fifth of all Super Bowls in NFL history – is, is truly, truly insane. And for me, this one is one of the most special ones because at least for the past couple of years, it's been that it's Belichick. Belichick's the mastermind behind all of this. There were some people in that New England area like, yeah, we could have won with Garoppolo. Brady goes to a completely new system. Uh, no disrespect to Bruce Arians, but he's not Bill Belichick. And in year one, they're in the Super Bowl after having to go through Breeze and Rodgers just to get there and the great Taylor Heineke as well. So I think it's really just a testament to how good Tom Brady is. Um, He didn't have the greatest second half in this one after being on fire with the three touchdowns and no turnovers in the first. He tried to let Green Bay sneak out of there with a win with a couple of his deep balls where he just didn't see the safety over the top. But either way, um, really outstanding performance. I think Brady, along with the rest of us, figured out very early in this one that – um, the best way to win this game was to play the whoever offense on Kevin King because he was letting get receivers get wide open all game, including Scotty Miller at the end of the first half. So I was really impressed with how, ga- how good this game was overall. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that it was a much better game than the ASC championship when I, I thought it would be the opposite. So I really enjoyed watching this one. I didn't enjoy the fact that I had Packers money line, but it was a really, really great game. Great game to watch between two of the game's older quarterbacks. You got to take a look at the sports world right now. We have we're we're very lucky to be witnessing this because we have Tom we have two athletes. We got Tom Brady, we got LeBron James. These are guys who are making the championship about 50% around 50% of their whole career. They're making the championship in their respective sports. They've both made the championship 10 times each. We're witnessing greatness right in front of us, and it's kind of sad how there's people out there who don't respect these legends 
and constantly hate on them because they're tired of them winning. You don't have to like them. You don't have to root for them, but appreciate what they've done for the sport, acknowledge their greatness, and just enjoy it while they're still here. Tom Brady is 43 years old. He is going to his 10th championship game, looking for ring number seven. I think, I don't want to say that this is Tom Brady's most impressive Super Bowl run because he hasn't necessarily been playing like prime Tom Brady. He threw three interceptions in the second half. Um, they tried to give that way, a, give away that game to Green Bay, but their defense was outstanding. They have played great against that elite Saints and Packers offense. And they're on their way to a Super Bowl. This is a defense coming into the year. We kind of knew what we had in this Bucks team. We knew they were a playoff team. I'm pretty sure we all had them in the playoffs. We all had them as a wild card. And they have exceeded our expectations. Their defense has been better than we thought it would be. Tom Brady has been better than he thought we thought he was going to be. And despite his receiving core, you know, Godwin has not had his greatest games. He's had a drop issue at times um and you know Antonio Brown he's a little he's a little iffy still he's on and off uh and you still have like Mike Evans Scotty Miller uh you have an old Rob Gronkowski Brady makes it work you look at all those guys as a whole there's a lot of talent but there's also a lot of question marks and you got to be thinking like throwing that collection of guys who are all so different together might be an issue. Tom Brady's made it work. Even with Bruce Arians at head coach, he's kind of a wild card as well. He's a good coach, not Bill Belichick. Uh, and I think it's incredibly impressive that um, this Tom Brady led team on a new is he's 43 years old on first year on a new team and they're back in the Super Bowl. Um, I think it's good for the sport and I'm, 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 I'm happy for him. He gets to play the Super Bowl in his home stadium, though. And I feel yeah, like it'll be it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how the Super Bowl is played out with the uh, Bucks being the home, technically the home team, technically not. The Chiefs has the better record, so I think they will actually be the home team. So I don't know if it's a case where the Buccaneers are playing in their home stadium but they have to use like the visitor's locker room and wear like visiting jerseys. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how all that works out. Um but yeah, Tom Brady just won a hell of a run. I think he's up to 36 career playoff wins, which I think is most it, it's more than the next 3 combined, yeah. which is just insane. Ben touched on it. We may never see anything like this. Um Maybe the only thing close to it is Pat Mahomes, where we'll get to that uh, shortly. But just a hell of a hell of a ride for Brady. Now let's get into Rodgers. Rodgers now under a lot of pressure, being one and four in NFC Championship games. Is it four straight losses in yeah. NFC Championship games? And I mean, besides this one, most of them haven't really been close. So. I know the internet kind of blew up about Rogers' responses after the game. What What do you guys think Rogers' future is like in Green Bay? I don't think he's going anywhere. I really don't. Um, in response to the one and four thing, 
yeah, you would like to see him not be one and four, and his one win is over uh, second half Caleb Haney. I'm sure Bears fans remember that. But um, I think also the defense has yet to show up at any of those conference championship games. Um, we know last year how it went against San Francisco. Um, Mostert with the four touchdowns and the 200 yards. And uh, they a couple of years ago to the Falcons, the defense let Julio and Matt Ryan go insane. And then a couple of years before that, the, the whole Seattle fiasco. So the defense really has never helped them out. But still, in the fourth quarter, the game was there for Aaron Rodgers to go and take. And I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Rodgers had under 60 yards in that fourth quarter. So the game was there. It was in the Packers' grasp, and I know the Buccaneers have a good defense, but it was there for Aaron Rodgers to go and get. So um, I don't think the one and four in conference championships is going to defy his legacy, but I think it would have um, it would have been big if he could have gotten this one and went on to play in the Super Bowl, especially because this is a really good Packers team. Like no one would uh, deny how talented this roster would be. Um, if they had taken a, a skill position player over Jordan Love, that would have made it even better. So um, I, I just I don't think I don't think um, Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. He kind of clarified that today on the Pat McAfee show. I think he's there for at least another year or two. Whether he retires a Green Bay Packer, that is not certain. But um, I think it's a I don't see any way he's not in Green Bay next year. I don't even really think that. We're going to see all the photoshops over Twitter and social media, but I don't really think that's something that's, that's, that's even close to coming true. Um, the only thing is I don't think the Packers this, – this might have been their best chance because I don't think they'll be able to keep the roster as talented as it was and play as well as they did. So this, this might have been the best chance. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I got – before Colin goes, I got a little breaking news. Uh, the Twins just signed Andrelton Simmons to a one-year $10.5 million deal. We'll talk about That's that. One of the first breaking news um, yes. updates on Tub Talk. Andrew, yeah. nothing ever happens. From the Los Angeles Angels. Goes to the Twins, the what Twinkies. The, what's the contract looking like? Do we know? One year, 10 and a half. So basically, reported by Jeff Passens. Basically, just leaves Gregorius left. And three have been signed today Galvis, Simeon, and uh, now Simmons. So um, Cincinnati Reds, you, my team, I do like if you got on that. There's only one left, and I don't want to go into opening day without a shortstop. But I'll stop letting the fandom come out, and we can get back to football. Yeah, I uh, – so where were we? So I um, I agree with you that Aaron Rodgers will be in the Packers uniform next year. Um, I think people just like to overreact and just looking for something to talk about. He's not going anywhere. He will be in the Packers uniform next year. And I mean, you're right. He, you look at the, you look at the stats. It looked like he had a good game. He did have a pretty solid game, but Tom Brady goes down and throws two and he threw three interceptions in a row. They scored on the first one. After the other two interceptions, Green Bay uh, did not pick up a single first down off either of those turnovers in the fourth quarter, and you just can't do that. It is the most important drives of your whole season. You can't come up short on those. You can't not pick up a single first down on those. Uh, Packers ha- or I'm sorry, Rogers had an incredible year. Um, he's going to win MVP, but at the end of the day, 
the season was a failure for him and the Packers, in my opinion, because he lost to Tom Brady twice and they're going home before the Super Bowl. So I this team, uh, I don't think they see anything short of a Super Bowl, a success. I don't know what moves they're going to make this offseason. Um, they're very, very close. Um, if they can keep that roster intact, they have another very good shot next year to go out, go after it. But like Ben said, I don't know that they're going to be able to keep everyone together. This was most likely their best chance. And uh, yeah, it's, it's sad to see, uh, it's sad to see Rogers go out like that. And especially, yeah. especially with the Dan Campbell led Detroit Lions coming up in the NFC North next year, it's going to be real tough for, for Green Bay to get back in that spot and have the easy ride to the title that they did this year because, you know, morale is important. Dan Campbell, the dude. Um, but more, more facts about this game. Um, in the second half, on back-to-back drives – or no, I think it was the end of the first half. One of the two. I don't really remember when, but it was back-to-back drives – the Buccaneers where Brady threw a pick and on both those drives, the Packers ended and responded with pass, 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 punt, pass, 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 punt. Um, um, but in that situation, you got to come off of points, especially with Brady, because a couple of those Brady interceptions, he had three that game. A couple of those were he basically closed his eyes, chucked it up, and he said, fuck it, let's hope someone's there. But there wasn't. And I think the final thing that we haven't touched on, on uh, the field goal at the end of the game, um, my thing isn't just you have to score. It's not just – I don't hate the field goal there. I honestly don't. But when you're going to kick the ball to Brady with 210 left um, – that's where it's a dumb idea because that's why Brady's the greatest of all time. If you give him the ball with two minutes left and he has the lead, he's going to walk away with a win. That's why he's 36 and 11 in the playoffs, 36 and 11 in the playoffs. Insane. So I don't hate it, but at the same time, I mean, you just got to know who you're playing against. Real quick, before I uh, touch on my thoughts on that field goal attempt, I want to be the person to break the MLB news this time because the MLB stove is on fire right now. And um, free agent infielder Tommy Lestella, former Chicago Cub, has agreed to a deal with the San Francisco Giants. So another infielder off the board as well. So in a span of just a couple minutes, um, yeah, the MLB stove is very, very hot right now. Oh, my goodness. But I all love right. Tommy. I love oh, yeah. Tommy. Cubs, Cubs fans didn't. Wasn't there um a story about he got demoted to the Iowa Cubs and just kind of refused to go? He was like, "Nah, I'm, I don't want to go to the Miners." I'm sure he he was such a fun clubhouse guy. He was a big part of, I mean, our playoff runs. Um, but yeah, I just remember him not getting a ton of playing time, and then towards the end of the year when we were resting guys, we put him at second a bunch, and he had like a two homer game against the Phillies. And he had like five homers in a span of like four games. He's just, I mean, he's a dude. I love that guy. All right. So uh, back to football on the field goal decision. I want to bring up another point just because, and I know this is, this is, 
it's it's in the in the end, this is not a big picture thing. If you're gonna kick the field goal there, I don't get why they didn't try onside because let me look hear me out. They basically needed one to two first downs anyway. And worst thing that happens, they're not gonna get a touchdown because they're just run the clock out. They kick a field goal and you're still down one score. Now, obviously, it's a very low chance at onside to get recovered. But what's the point? Because even if they were, even if Tampa Bay recovers it, it's the same as you kicking it off normally. But when you kick it off, you give yourself no chance to get the ball back. Um, with the field goal thing, a lot of the things that you said, Donovan, I'm the same way, where it's just like you just kind of got to know who's on the other sideline. Um, I think this kick, the decision to kick a field goal is a whole lot smarter if it's Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears standing on their sideline. But instead, it was the greatest quarterback of all time. So you kind of just had the the kind of the bad feeling in your stomach when they kicked it. I was like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to see the field again. Um, kind of like how when the Browns punted with with um, Baker on the sideline a, a week or so ago. So um, Matt Lafleur is a is a very very good coach, but I I would have to assume he's probably second guessing that decision at least a little bit. Yeah, you you pretty much covered everything. Uh... He is a great up-and-coming head coach, but the decision made no sense to me, especially at the time it was done. I mean, there's just over two minutes off, probably about two minutes and like eight seconds-ish. Um, you can't kick a field goal there. You have Aaron Rodgers. You're that close to the goal line. You, you got to go for it. Um, it, it. It really didn't make much sense to me with – in the NFC championship with Tom Brady and the Bucks on the other side of the ball. You got to, you got to go for that touchdown. You got to go for the tie. Um, it was a cowardly move. I, I don't agree with it at all. I don't, I mean, that's not even something I would expect from Matt LaFleur to do. Maybe he got caught up in the moment. I don't, maybe it's an analytics thing. It can't be an analytics thing because that doesn't line up. You have Aaron Rodgers and you're about five yards short of the goal line. You got to go for it. Yeah. All right. Let's just get into the uh, second game. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Buffalo Bills. It wasn't a blowout, but pretty much after the Chiefs figured out how to score, it felt like an ass whooping. Um, I mean, every I think a lot of us were wondering when the Chiefs, Chiefs were going to flip the switch. Because we saw how they were last year, and we just didn't see that through the regular season. But I think in the playoffs, we've now seen it. The Bills kind of just didn't wake up to play. Josh Allen didn't play great, but I also think he did what he could. There wasn't much he could do. His offensive line didn't help. Um, Diggs was non-existent in the first half. Um, the defense couldn't get pressure on Mahomes and couldn't adjust to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey for that matter. And it just felt like a ass whooping. Yeah. Um, I, I feel basically the same way that you do. Um, I think Tony Romo said it, um, on the broadcast or maybe it was a Nance that if, um, and with a couple minutes to go in the game, if you would have told me that the Bills had scored the first nine points and then at that time the last nine points, I think we all would have thought that the Bills had shown up and really taken the game. But when you just say that, you don't see the tons and tons of points the Chiefs scored in between that first and last nine. And that's just because when the Chiefs offense gets on a roll, they're borderline unstoppable. 
And it was another another great game out of Andy Reid. There were some great play calls. Um, we see them do that little underhand shovel to Travis Kelsey near the goal line all the time, and it works almost all the time. So that was a great play call. Um, and then obviously just get the ball into Tyreek Hill's hands and he will outrun everyone. Um, we saw there was a certain play where he cut across the field and then came back across the field where it felt like he was running for 200 yards on one long play. So that dude is just an insane athlete. That's not anything new, something that um, we all already knew. So really – after seeing this and seeing how the Chiefs are rolling, it just gets me so excited for the Super Bowl because I can talk myself in to both teams because don't bet against Tom Brady. The dude has just the mama mentality. Like, he's not he's not going to lose. But then on the other side, this Chiefs offense right now is absolutely rolling, and we saw what they did to that Bucks defense, albeit for only a quarter, but we saw what they did to that Bucks defense for that quarter. So – it's really I, – I think this is going to be a really, really good Super Bowl because I think I, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I really do. And I think you can easily see a way where both teams win. There's been Super Bowls where, like, this team definitely has the upper hand. But this one I can, I can literally argue for both sides. Yeah, I think the Chiefs had us all fooled or had me fooled. Um, they did not – Me look- too. They really didn't look like the best team in football for quite some time. Uh, but I think it's obvious now that they are. Uh, from uh, probably that last uh, game, the, the game they played against New Orleans, they were kind of iffy. They had the Atlanta game uh, where they only won by three and they missed the field goal. Um, and I, I cut the couple games before that, Mahomes wasn't – great he was good not great and they played a lot of close games I think they had us fooled I think they were saving their best stuff for the postseason because that's what great teams can do that they had the luxury of doing that they knew that they pretty much had that one seed locked up they had that buy locked up uh once Pittsburgh started fading and I don't think they showed their best stuff and I think they fooled all of us they're kind of coasting a little bit they're kind of toying with us and they get to the playoffs and they explode. They were fantastic against Cleveland last week before Mahomes got hurt. And they were outstanding today, offensively and defensively. They were great. Um, there's no stopping Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey. You're going to have to outscore them. And Buffalo is not capable of that. They took their early lead. Kansas City has done what they've done time and time again last postseason. Uh, this year, they get down, they're going to strike back 10 times harder. They came back, they went on like a 38 to six run. Was that it? It was something, something like that. Something like that. Um, and on the Buffalo Bills side of it, I don't like them kicking field goals early in the game when they're at like the two yard line to kick the field goal. I, I don't like that. Um, they did it right before half. They did it in the third quarter. Uh, I think they needed three yards. It was like fourth and three inside the 10. They kicked the field goal. I don't like that. I don't think that's playing to win when you're playing the best, you know, the best trio in football. They're too dangerous. You got to put up points. And Josh Allen was good. Not great. He was good. And you have to be great if you're going to beat this team, if you're going to outscore this team. 
So it's tough. Andy Reid's a genius. He proves it every week. And uh, yeah, Buffalo is Buffalo's close. They do have their holes. Um, we all kind of know. We've all kind of seen it. Like they have their holes, but they have been playing outstanding. And then they come into Kansas City and get rolled. So yeah. I think shows how good this Chiefs team really is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I know the Chiefs are a little bit over the cap, not too much, but they're a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see if they try and shed any of that this year, especially right before uh, Mahomes' contract kicks in. But for the Bills, you're right. Um, They are the second-best team in the AFC, I think, still to this day. Um, Maybe that changes if the Steelers can get a quarterback or if the Ravens can get a wide receiver or even if the Colts can get a quarterback. Maybe that can change. but as of right now, they are missing a couple pieces. Uh, they just straight up need a better offensive line. Um, they need a pass rusher. They need a run game. And those pieces are out there. Um, you hear guys like J.J. Water on the trade block, Najee Harris, or a couple other good uh, running backs out of college, Travis Etienne. Uh, I mean, linemen aren't too hard to find. So there's pieces there. And they're bringing up uh, – or and they're keeping Leslie Frazier, Bryant Dable. So they're keeping the coaching staff. I think maybe early gut reaction, I think we're going to be – next year we're going to be talking about the same matchup in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's going to be a great matchup. You just got to – one thing, and the reason I might – almost lean Tampa is Tampa's pass rush has been very good. They've done a great job of getting these quarterbacks, these very good quarterbacks against some good offensive lines. Green Bay's O-line was spectacular against the Rams. You know how good they've been with Aaron Donald, even, even a little banged up, they were still dominant and Green Bay won the line of scrimmage. They were very physical up front. They played great. They did a great job protecting Rodgers, giving him time to throw. And the Bucks made them uncomfortable. They have a very they got Vita Vea back, which has been which was huge for them last week. And you got Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre Paul, all those boys. And I think they're gonna create some issues for the Chiefs because they are now without Schwartz and Fisher. Both of their starting tackles, I believe, are out for the Super Bowl. If that's so, if that's the case, um, I think Tampa is going to create some issues for them. Their pass rush can create problems for Mahomes in that offense. Yeah, we'll get we'll get more into the Super Bowl preview when that approaches. Still got a couple of weeks. Um, one other note is: have the Chiefs have the Chiefs found the most unstoppable play in football? That quick little Mahomes rolls out to the right. Tyreek Hill runs the, I guess, three or four yard out route. Is that the most unstoppable play in football right now? Works every time. With those two guys, it is. Not every quarterback and wide receiver can pull that off. But, uh, and I know it seems like such an easy thing to do, but no one's as fast as Tyreek Hill. So, not um, Kirk Cousins and Kyle Rudolph are not pulling that play off, but the Kansas City Chiefs are. Yeah. 
Um, all right, but I think that wraps up conference championships. Let's get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And for me personally, I have a little rant about this. I don't know about you guys. I'll let you guys talk a little first. But uh, no one was elected into the Hall of Fame this year. First time since 2013, no one was elected. And this year, out of all the writers, there's like 600, 700 some writers. 14, I can't count that on my fingers, but 14 blank ballots. What I have to say about this, this could be cutting into your rant. Um, I obviously don't know what, what that's going to be, but I think the voting system is flawed because I think the writers let their personal agenda, not, not agendas, but like bias get in the way, um, which is not supposed to have voting. If you read it is strictly supposed to be on their career, not as a person on the career, their stats, accolades, stuff like that. And um a lot of people know kind of Kurt Schilling's views, um, his political views. Some people don't view him as the nicest guy. And I think the voters let stuff like that get in the way, which is really, really a shame. Obviously, I don't know. I don't, I can't see every single voter's view, but I really think, um, I think the voters um, really should be somewhat ashamed of, of how it turned out. I know he, Kurt Schilling only missed getting in by about 16 votes. But just, just how and how it looks, it's really, really not a good look at all. Um, we know how hard it is to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I don't think it's a good look at all for baseball when no one, um, when you have a class with, with not a single person getting into the Hall of Fame this year. I really don't. And um, I think Kurt Schilling has every right to be upset. He already said he's removing himself on the ballot for next year. He, uh, he uh, put out a little letter. So um, if if, if – if something like that happened to me, I'd be upset as well. So um, I'm sure that you're probably going to go into that as well, Donovan, but that's kind of just how I, how I view it. I was, I was shocked when I, when I read it, when it came out an hour or so ago. Yeah. My, my only opinion on this is I think it's, it's a very bad look for the sport. And I think it's pretty embarrassing how you can have, I think the system is very flawed and the fact that there's that many voters who didn't vote I think that's really dumb. I I don't agree. I don't. I think their right voting rights should be revoked when it comes to the baseball Hall of Fame. Um, I think it's embarrassing how no one got elected in. You have a lot of outstanding players on that list, many guys who deserve Hall of Fame recognition, and this year you're adding zero people to it. You got people excited for no reason. I think it's really stupid. Um, that's about all I have to say. Sorry if we kind of cut into your rant. No, 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 you're, you're fine. So my little rant, I'm going to first explain the hall of fame voting system, because I actually think the system is very smart and I actually like the system. So every year they change up who votes. Um, it's sometimes it's the same voters every year, but they'll sometimes add guys or subtract guys. But basically five years after a player retires, they're eligible for the hall of fame ballot. That ballot is then constructed by a whole bunch of writers to get elected in the hall of fame. You need 75% of the vote. And if you get less than 5%, you're automatically kicked out off the ballot. And after 10 years, if you still haven't made it, 
you get kicked off the ballot. So I think I think that system, I think I like that system very much because we're also talking about the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good or the Hall of Very Okay. So it should be hard to get in the Hall of Fame, which I don't hate. But at the same time, when you have guys on the ballot like Kurt Schilling, who is one of the best postseason pitchers of all time, Barry Bonds is the freaking home run leader. We all know he took steroids, and I'll get to that in a second. Roger Clemens, one of the best pitchers over two decades. And then you have other guys like Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Mark Burley, guys that are not only known league-wide, but for their respective fan bases they've played for are legends. And I think the whole steroid debate um, is kind of bullshit at this point because every year now we're getting word of guys cheating cheating is a part of the game and I'm not saying go ahead and embrace it, but if cheating's a part of it, you're not going to knock a guy. I'm not, you know, I shouldn't say that, but basically guys who use steroids should still be allowed in the hall of fame. Cause you also have guys who've gotten in who've used steroids. Pudge Rodriguez got two years ago. And he used steroids. Um, David Ortiz, he used steroids and he's probably going to get in next year, two years, whenever, whenever he's eligible. So if you're going to let one in, you have to let all in. And I think Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens should be in. They only have one year left of eligibility. So they, I personally think they should get in, but for the writers who decide to make them it about themselves, um, it's 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 so stupid it's you like people now are publishing their ballots and you have writers that pretty much go out and say i'm not going to vote for anyone that's bullshit that's you trying to make a name out of yourself and it's cocky and it's stupid i hate it it's bad for the game i love this game and it seems like every year now there's some sort of controversies that's just shitting on this game it's it's really sad um but i think guys like manny ramirez sammy sosa mark burley kurt schilling barry bonds roger clemens and so many more should get into the hall of fame and are probably not going to because of these dumb writers that interviewed these guys who are notorious assholes like barry bonds or jeff kent and just use their bias to get in the way. And it's just, it's bullshit. I hate it. I hate it so much. Real quick. I know this is a well drawn out topic. Um, and this isn't a steroid user, but what are your thoughts on Pete Rose? I think Pete Rose should get in easily, easily. Um, especially now that maybe back then, because when he played like the seventies, it's something obviously like that. been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, Back in the 70s, gambling was not as accepted as it is now. I mean, shit, all of us, and including a lot of other kids our age and older than us, are big Barstool fans, and Barstool is pretty much in the front row of leading the uh, leading the narrative of not only gambling, but sports gambling to be legal nationwide or worldwide or whatever. It is now being very widely accepted and the guy who 
is the all-time hits leader and one of the main parts um, of, you know, the Big Red Machine, one of the greatest dynasties in not only baseball but all of sports. I think he should definitely get in. Um, and, I mean, it seems like every year he has a meeting with the league that's trying to reinstate him, but it's – I think he should easily be in. Yeah, no, I I just kind of wanted to hear that because it's – it's um you're right. It's going to just keep happening every year. And, and sadly, the old guys that have a, I guess, agenda are, aren't probably ever going to let him in. But I, I really like, like your point about how much, like, I guess the view of gambling has changed. And I think if we're okay with the whole steroids thing, which should be okay, I agree with it. I think then they should also let uh, Pete Rose in as well, because um, he has a nickname hit King for a reason. Um, and I just think – I don't think there's any reason that's one of the greatest baseball players of all time should not be recognized in um, with all the rest of the greatest baseball players. All right. And after that little rant, we're going to go right into this week in sports. Um, for those of you who don't know, we just kind of recap the last couple of days since basically we last record any news around the world of sports. Uh, since we just talked about baseball, let's go. Colin, what happened this week in basketball? All right. So my this week in basketball, you know, when I'm talking NBA, it's going to be a little repetitive because it's going to be a lot of Lakers, a lot of Nets, a lot of Bucks. Those top teams, you know, those top players, they just dominate the NBA. So I'm going to go right into the Lakers. There's a lot to talk about with the Lakers this week. They've had a very eventful past week. Last night, I'll just I'll just start with this. They are now 10 and 0 on the road this season, which is, I mean, it is the COVID year. There's not fans at most stadiums, but very impressive nonetheless. And it's something you hardly ever see. They started out there, I believe it's a seven game road trip with uh, Milwaukee. Um, is a primetime matchup on TNT, and the Lakers came out on top. It was a very good game. And I don't I, I kind of want to hear you guys' opinions on this. I feel like Giannis over the past, I don't know, year and a half hasn't improved. I think he's kind of just been, I think he's kind of hit his uh, not his peak, but he's kind of hit like a ceiling right now and he's stuck there. And I think that he is going to be stuck there until he can develop a better jump shot. Because I think he plays outstanding defense, and we know he can bully people in the paint. He can move the ball around. He's a good leader, but he doesn't have a consistent jump shot. And to me, that's what's holding him back. Like, do you do you guys feel the same way about that? I feel like he's at a ceiling right now. No, I I kind of agree. It seems like he hasn't had made that next step that we're all expecting from him, and that next step is to have not even a consistent jump shot, just have some sort of a jump shot because we see all over NBA Twitter now just videos of teams leave, giving him 10, 15 feet off the three-point line, shout out John Gladys, giving him that open three and just missing it badly. So I think, uh, I think he needs to definitely take that next step, and he just hasn't done that yet. Yeah, so – after the game against the Bucks, they went. The Lakers went to Chicago. Anthony Davis 
played in Chicago against his hometown Bulls. That's where he's from. And he dropped 26 points in eight minutes by halftime. And this trend of uh, these players dominating in their hometowns continued last night when the Lakers went to Cleveland and LeBron dropped 46, eight and six against his old Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, it's maybe, it's one of his best games as a Laker, top five for sure. And he kind of flipped a switch that he usually does in the playoffs. He does it a few times throughout the regular season where he starts barreling into the lane and taking contested jump shots that he would normally not take in the regular season. And he was taking them last night and he was drilling them. Um, it's pretty outstanding that he's still doing this at age 36. Um, still far and away the best player in basketball. Um, the second best player in basketball, Kevin Durant, and the Nets are now 4-2 and two since acquiring James Harden. I don't know if we talked about that crazy game the Nets played against the Cavs. I don't think we did. Uh, they've had an overtime thriller in which Colin Sexton dropped about 20 straight points for Cleveland. Um, the Nets look good. Their offense has been outstanding. Seeing the ball movement between KD and Harden and even Kyrie now is special, and it almost looks something out of an all-star game because they're all so talented. They can all shoot from anywhere on the court. And it's very fun to watch. They're probably the most fun team to watch in basketball. But I still have my concerns for them because they have a lot, a lot of points. Um, they led a Cleveland team that was uh, dead last in offensive efficiency, score like 140 and 126. So they still have a lot of uh, stuff to clear up. But reports are saying that they're interested in a couple centers, one including JaVale McGee, from the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think that would be a huge pickup for that team. I've heard they're also interested in Kevin Love from the Cavaliers. And uh, another trade rumor I want to just discuss real quick or just uh, talk about is the Pelicans are receiving calls on Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, and they're also looking at Kelly Oubre from Golden State. Those are the only trade rumors that we've had since the Harden deal. So I just wanted to throw those out there. Um, and not a whole lot has happened on the college side. One notable thing is the Oklahoma Sooners are hot right now. They just beat number nine, Kansas. And that was on Saturday night. Right now they're at Texas and they are up 70, 63 with under six minutes to go. So Oklahoma is looking likely to upset another top 10 team. Uh, I just want to add for basketball, another really hot team in college basketball to look out for, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Alabama, over the last, like, three or four games, is, I think, setting, like, all sorts of college basketball three-point records. Obviously, we don't expect it to um, stand – throughout the rest of the year. Um, they are losing to Kentucky as of right now by two. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see 
Alabama compete for a football national championship and now a college basketball championship. Alabama has been outstanding. And I'll give Ben a little shout out here. The Mizzou Tigers are very good too. Um, There's really three teams in the SEC that are uh, looking really good to start the year. They all look like sweet 16-ish teams. And that's Bama, Mizzou, and Tennessee. Mizzou just beat uh, – they just went to Tennessee and beat them by nine. So, Mizzou also looking really good. And when Kentucky's finally having a down year, now we have three new really good teams emerging in the SEC. And you just have to think, obviously, as a Mizzou fan, if um, Mizzou a couple weeks ago didn't absolutely blow it against Mississippi State, they were up big at half and then just came out flat the second half, Mizzou would have one loss right now, a December loss to Tennessee. Um, I think most people would agree that Mizzou should have beat that Mississippi State team. I don't think that's like a stretch for me to say. So it, it shows that Mizzou is having a really good year in basketball. Um, obviously, the win um, against Tennessee here now after losing to them in December is absolutely huge. But um, you're, you're right. The SEC right now with, like, with, with Kentucky not being the dominant team that they usually are, there's, there's a real shot there. So um, I'm really looking forward to that um, Bama-Missouri matchup here in a couple weeks. It's um, February 6th. So that could potentially be a very, very good one if, if these two teams are still hot at that time. Now, obviously, they could fall into some tough stretches because I don't think anyone expects them to be this high at this point. So we'll have to see. But if, if things stand, that matchup Kentucky, or, uh, Mizzou-Alabama in a couple weeks could be great. Yeah, and last thing. Um, there was a little debate, deba- debates on Twitter and social media and on these talk shows. Um, after one of the Utah Jazz, by the way, the Utah Jazz are hot. I know DP is a big uh, Donovan Mitchell fan. He's been playing great. And after dropping, I believe, 36 points in a game uh, on TNT, he got interviewed by Shaq after the game. And Shaq just, com- just called the dude out, just came at his head saying, uh, after this great performance, saying, uh, I don't think you have what it takes to go to, to take your game to the next level. You don't have what it takes. He's like, what do you think about that? Just out of nowhere. I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell is a very humble guy, never talks trash. So, I mean, this is kind of out of nowhere. Shaq has been, uh, he's done this in the past. He, after the Lakers won their championship, he came at Dwight for absolutely no reason, saying Dwight was weak and they didn't need him and he didn't do anything, which is completely false and not true at all. Uh, And it was just reacting to Dwight, you know, crying with the trophy and getting all emotional. So I don't know what Shaq's problem is. Do you guys have an issue with Shaq just calling him out for no reason? Uh, I mean – for me, I've seen on Twitter, I haven't really followed it much this year, but I see all the time that he's poking fun at guys. Um, I think at some point, someone's going to say something back at him that's going to start a whole big feud, um, you know, because that's what the NBA needs. But uh, Shaq, I mean, Shaq is Shaq. Shaq's, Shaq was a dominant player, obviously, in his prime. And now that he's, you know – working on TNT and you now see him starring in a bunch of movies, especially with like Adam Sandler. He's not more of a character. And I think 
now that's trying to now that's kind of getting in the way of some of his analysis where he's almost trying to be like some sort of character he just he to me he used to look like some he used to be some like fun loving like you know just happy guy and now it's like every time i see him on tv when i watch inside the nba or whatnot he just seems like more of like a grumpy old man now and that's like it's it's just with a lot of stuff i mean i feel like he's he's kind of turned into one of those like basketball old heads who just doesn't want to admit that like the game's changing and that there's other great players yeah all right let's get into this week in baseball uh ben any any news in baseball surprisingly there has not been a new signing in the past 15 minutes because at the rate we were going i thought for sure we would get one um some of the stuff obviously we've already mentioned the hall of fame voting thing um multiple shortstops coming off the board today we talked about simmons marcus simeon um went to uh toronto on a deal there freddie galvis to the orioles so Really, that just leaves Didi Gregorius left. And as Bob Nightingale tweeted out about 10 or 15 minutes ago, the two teams interested are both Philly and Cincinnati. Cincinnati was the team that drafted Didi Gregorius and then traded him back in uh, 2013. And then obviously Philly just had Gregorius last year. So basically, those two teams are really the, the ones left with glaring holes at shortstop. So it makes sense that they're the two that are reportedly going after him. Um, obviously everyone knows who I, which team I want to get them, but that's besides the point. So we'll see if the way the market's going, we could see that signing happening in the next day or two, or even tonight at, at this rate. So, um, I, I would be shocked if it's not Philly or Cincinnati where Gregorius ends up. And then the team that does get him is going to have a major hole at shortstop. Unless we see a potential trade for a guy like Trevor story who could be on the move. Um, we just don't know, don't know yet. So that's, that's the shortstop market. Another big signing today. We saw JT Real Muto sign a five-year deal with Philly. So we'll see how much cap space or I guess money that we Philly left with, but that's huge for them because Philly really wanted a chance to compete for the playoffs this year. They needed to get JT Real Muto back. Um, one of the best catchers in baseball, if not the best catcher in baseball. So that's huge for them. Um, a couple of days ago, Brad Hand of the Nationals, they wanted a lefty pitcher. They got a lefty pitcher in Brad Hand. Um, probably not as dominant as he was maybe a couple of years ago, but still a very good uh, back end of the bullpen guy. So that's a big signing for them as they look to try and get back to the playoffs. Um, a couple other free agency and trade rumor stuff. Adam Adovino um, got traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox. Um, it was kind of weird because there were some rumors that the Yankees didn't really think New York was fit for him. Um, he's from Brooklyn. So a little bit weird there, but he got shipped off to the Red Sox. Obviously the Red Sox aren't competing. So I'm sure that's not really where Adam Adovino wanted to be traded to, but he will try and make best out of it in Boston. Um, other stuff, Trevor Bauer, probably the best free agent still unsigned at this point in time. Uh, there was multiple disputing reports where Nightingale said that the Mets made him an offer to be one of the highest paid pitchers annually. And then just minutes later, John Heyman disputed that report. So who knows who is right out of those two, those two are uh, Heyman and Nightingale are often a part of many jokes when it comes to the baseball reporters, because they uh, kind of make memes out of themselves. So we'll see what happens with Bauer. There's a lot of um, people that seem to think the final four for Bauer will be the, uh, the Mets, 
some people saying Blue Jays, and then both of the LA teams are also in the mix for Bauer. So that's that's going to be one to keep an eye on because pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in just a few weeks if all things go according to schedule. So I would think that would be one that would like to get done soon. I'm obviously hoping he signs for a huge deal so the Reds get a first-round pick, a uh, compensation pick. So we'll see how that ends up. Um, speaking of spring training and people reporting, Arizona, who ironically is one of three NHL teams to have fans in the stadium, Arizona wanted to postpone spring training because of rising COVID cases. So that is kind of ironic there. Um, based on what I've read, I think the spring training is still going to start on time anyway. I don't think that's really, um, really going to change anything. Honestly, if I were the MLB and it's just spring training, getting at bats and work is all that really matters. I would honestly just kind of with the grapefruit league and the cactus league, just rotate three or four teams that you play throughout spring training, take the teams that are closest together teams that a lot of teams share the facility with one other team, just have those two teams. Then maybe the two other closest teams have those four teams all play each other for the, for the couple weeks that it is. And there's no reason that um, all the Arizona teams need to play each other. If you're worried about COVID cases, just do that. Um, That's my solution there for that. But I think spring training is going to start on time anyway. And then also kind of in that same deal, there was a, uh, proposal made to the MLB union yesterday and as the union usually does didn't accept it on the first attempt we saw the back and forth negotiations back in the summer but the proposal was for a 16 team playoff and the NHL having a DH so um, that was offered to the union union shot it down and I was going to ask what your guys's take on the union shooting that down was because I'm glad they did because I really don't think in a full season a 16-team playoff is needed. I got it in the 60-game season, but in a 162-game season, there's no reason to have eight teams from each league in the playoffs. Right. No, I agree. Eight teams is a little much. I like the idea of having six teams. Um, have it Just have it lined up where the NFL used to have it, where you have the best two teams get a bye, and then just fill the rest in. Um, I, love, I think that's the best way to do it. I think five's a weird number and with five then you have to have the wild card game and I think if you have like a first round you can have like a best of three series and then go into best of five best of seven world series I think that's the best way to do it um but as of the DH and the NL they need to have the DH and the NL at this point it's just so stupid to have pitchers continuing to hit have pitchers hit like maybe 100 throughout the season you're taking at bats out of you're taking that's 15 jobs a player could have so I think it's time to have a DH in the National League and I think it's really stupid that an agreement hasn't been made at this point here because having a DH in the NL could potentially impact how teams fill out their rosters because if you know that you're gonna have a DH in the lineup every day that's maybe one guy to fill that role or maybe a couple guys are going to rotate in that role rather than a pitcher taking that spot. So one, um, like you said, pitchers don't really do a whole lot outside of a couple like Bumgarner or Kershaw. Pitchers don't usually do a whole lot in that role anyway, and you risk them getting hurt. And then second, um, whatever decision that is made based on it needs to happen. I mean, it's probably too late anyway because most guys have been signed, but I think really just mismanaged on the part of the MLB because um, that decision impacts how a lot of teams fill out their rosters. And um, I think, I think just completely mismanaged leaving it till uh, a month from spring training. 
And then yep. last thing, oh, sorry, Colin. No, 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 you're good, you're good. I was just going to say last thing on the MLB before we move on, um, some more Yankees news because the Yankees have been one of the most aggressive teams this offseason. Um, they made a trade for Jamison Tyon, former Pirates pitcher, um, has kind of had some issues staying healthy. I know all of that isn't his fault because he had some health issues that weren't controllable. Thankfully, he's okay after those. Um, but if he can put it all together in New York, that has a chance to really go well with a former Pirate as well, Garrett Cole. Uh, Pirates got a couple prospects for them, to be exact, in return. So that can be really big for them in the future. I was reading some of the uh, reports on the prospects coming back, and a lot of people really like who they got in return. So uh, Pirates aren't going to be contending anytime soon. So I think that's a good move for them. And then lastly, one more pitcher I wanted to talk about, Masahiro Tanaka, who has been with the Yankees since he came over from Japan, has reportedly not necessarily gotten the deal he's looking for. So he is potentially looking at returning to Japan for who knows how long. But yeah, lots of MLB news has picked up. Obviously, as we get closer to spring training, that was bound to happen. But plenty, plenty of news, especially today. There were a lot of signings that went on today, which is great. Um, really, really good because you, you would hate to see guys with spring training not started, not have deals. So it was good. The hot stove had to pick up at some time, and I'm glad it has here in the past couple of days. I was going to agree with you, Ben, and just say you made a good point that the MLB waits so long or ever since COVID started has been waiting so long to announce some of these very important factors going into next season. We don't know how many playoff teams is going to be. Uh, I mean, I think we all are saying 162 games now. Is that, is that confirmed that's going to be 162? That's what um, Manfred told the teams to plan to start spring training on time and plan to play a full 162 game season. So, that's okay. the plan. So, yeah, we, we, I mean, we don't even know, like, how many playoff teams. You're right, the universal DH. I mean, you guys, you have guys, like, not that it's a huge uh, – not that it's too important, but you got a guy like, I don't know, Nelson Cruz. You could have some National League teams who would be interested in signing him if they were to know that they'd have a DH. I don't know. Because it's looking like he's mainly between, like, the Twins or – Teams like the White Sox are interested. Um, but, yeah, I think that's something that they should have known by now with free agency going on. And I think it's – the MLB should have been more prepared. And I, I don't really understand why it's taking so long for some of this to come out. Yeah. Um, and we're just going to jump into this week in football. Obviously not much news. Um you got the Pro Bowl this weekend, Super Bowls in two weekends. The only other big news this week is that uh, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, who both played for the Steelers, and now one's on the Chiefs, one's on the Buccaneers, obviously. Both didn't play in conference championship week. Both will play, reportedly, in the Super Bowl. Um, the big thing for me is that – and I'm going to give a little a little preview um, – the reason why I think the Buccaneers are going to win the Super Bowl, especially now if Antonio Brown plays, is, is that if you look back a couple of years ago to the uh, D Ford AFC championship game where the Chiefs had it, but then they lost it because D Ford lined off offsides. If you remember, Tom Brady and Julian Edelman had an incredible game 
And we've seen over the years, the one thing that the Chiefs have not been able to stop is a very effective slot receiver. And Antonio Brown, when healthy, especially in this Buccaneers offense, is one of the best slot receivers in the game. Um, you can even throw a Scotty Miller in that situation and they will succeed. Um, so I think Tom Brady, who we know who loves Antonio Brown, they are going to have success finding Antonio Brown the ball in the Super Bowl. So I think that's a matchup to watch out for. Any props for Antonio Brown for the Super Bowl, hit the over. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, I think that pretty much sums up this week. Oh, and the uh, the Eagles signed the offensive coordinator for the Colts. Um, not, a, not 100% sure what his name is, um, but I'm sure he'll be – an okay head coach you know since we're talking about tom brady um i just came across this stat on twitter if you take away all of the playoff touchdown passes that brady has thrown to moss gronkowski branch edelman welker hogan and amandola if you take away all those touchdowns brady would still have the most playoff touchdown passes in history. He had 80. If you take all those guys away, it puts him at 46. Aaron Rodgers and Montana are second with 45. I think that's pretty insane. How many do Rex Rex Burkett have? Probably like 30. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but that pretty much wraps. Hold on, hold on. Before oh. before Donovan pisses off the uh, one of the worst fan bases in sports, the Philadelphia Eagles, I wanted to let them know your head coach's name is Nick Sirianni. I know Donovan um, didn't want to throw that out there, but uh, Nick Sirianni helped guide the Colts to the playoffs, helped guide, I mean, helped guide Frank Reich and the Colts to the playoffs in 2018 and then obviously last year in 2020. So um, I don't think that's a bad hire. Um familiar with the system obviously because he's worked with Frank Reich for so for so long and he came from Philly so um yeah I just want to throw a little bit out there about him just to not piss off the worst fan base even more but well, yeah, Philly he, fans he is a another head coach in his 30s I think he's 38 39 I saw and I also heard that he's very focused on establishing the wide wide receiver position for Philly. So that makes me wonder, you know, if they're – I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with Carson Wentz. I don't think he's really given any indication on what his plan is with Wentz. Um, that's all I've heard is that he works to revamp the wide receiver core. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the guy. He's in they're, – they're taking another chance at – or they're taking a chance at a younger head coach. And I think we all kind of expect Doug Peterson to get a job um, of some sort. Um, he'll be back somewhere. He, although you could say um, this season was a massive disappointment, he did, he was a part of that Super Bowl roster. Maybe he wasn't, you know, the main reason they won it, but he did win a Super Bowl. Um, they did make the playoffs the next two years. So, Still a good head coach, and I'm sure he'll wind up somewhere. Yeah, so the Texans are the only team that doesn't have a head coach as of right now. Obviously, that can change because um, their most 
more focused on what their quarterback situation is going to be. I think after the Super Bowl, we're going to get it, going to get into what quarterbacks are going to go where. But for the most part, I think this wraps up this week in sports and wraps up this episode of the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace.